Good morning and happy Sabbath. Um, today, we are going to have a Bible study. I'd hope to have like a wonderful sermon illustration and lots of stories and it's not, it doesn't have all of the things I wish I had for this message, but I pray that it'll still be a real big blessing to all of you. Um, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer, if you don't mind, because I, I know I need it, whether or not you guys do. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that you would please grant us your Holy Spirit's presence. Father, speak through me, and may this message be a true blessing to each one here this morning. Lord, um, we, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We got that. John, chapter 16. So, the title of this message is Got Help? Because, as we're going to talk about today, we need more help than we often realize. Can you imagine what it was like to walk and talk with Jesus back when he was here on earth? Can you imagine what it was like to live with Jesus for three and a half years? What do you wish you could have been there for? If you could have been there and watched Jesus any time during that time, when, when do you think you would have wanted to have been there? That's a really good moment. <laughs> that would have been quite, quite the spectacle to watch. And there, it's, there were scribes and Pharisees and people there who were not expecting that kind of spectacle, right? His baptism? His baptism? What about his baptism? Wow. Yeah. Mom? The resurrection. The resurrection? Yeah. That would have been pretty... Incredible. Who else? I think the guards were the only ones who got to see that one. Who else? Melissa? Not a specific moment, but just like in general, I would have loved to see how he dealt with the people. Like his method of communicating mm. with people and the way that he dealt so tenderly with mm -hmm. Like maybe seeing his tone and his yeah. body language and how he approached people. Yeah, I think we could all learn, could all learn a lot from watching that. Yes, Uriah? Watch his miracles. Watch his miracles? Yeah. Caden? When he calmed the storm. When he calmed the storm. That's a very good one. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. Mm, yes, forgiving the thief on the cross, getting to see his grace in action. Wow. So what Jesus then says here in John chapter 16 is a little bit radical. I mean, we'll get there. So can you imagine what it would have been like to be Peter or John or one of the disciples and to walk with Jesus for three and a half years and you get to see him perform all these miracles. And you even get sent out on missionary trips where you're performing miracles too. 
and you get to watch his tone and his body language and listen to his lessons day in and day out, that would have been such a privilege, such a blessing. But, and, and certainly, there couldn't be anything more blessed than that, right? I mean, going to the grocery store, that, that wouldn't be a more blessed situation than being in the presence of Jesus, right? No? Business meetings? Spending time with friends? That can't be more blessed than being with Jesus, right? Being outside in nature? That, that's, that's, not, that's not a more blessed experience than, than being in Jesus' physical presence, is it? then what in the world was Jesus saying when he said here in John chapter 16, it is to your advantage that I go away? What does that mean? Where's that coming from? Certainly it can't be of a greater advantage not to have Jesus physically present. Can it? Any thoughts? <laughs> Dad? Jesus, uh, because of the humanity that he took upon himself, he couldn't be in all places at the same time. Yes. Yes. So maybe there's a greater collective advantage? Certainly. Okay. I, I think it's more than that. To be with us and to accompany us. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's what the verse says. The, the verse says that the advantage, if he goes away, is what? The Holy Spirit. And that somehow getting the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to be a bigger blessing than walking and talking with him every day. I think we don't think about this enough. I think we don't realize truly what, what a promise Jesus was giving his disciples and us when he promised them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 15 starts out, you know, with... Okay, so this is, this is like Jesus' last discourse to his disciples. Um, I, I've, been, I've been studying through John, and just these, these chapters are incredible, starting in about John chapter 12. And then John chapter 13, you have Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and he's leaving them an example of humility. And then John 13, he's... Sorry, that is John 13. And then um, he foretells his betrayal, and then he commands them, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And he has just loved them enough to be their servant. 
I mean, like, so there's, there's all of this meaning and this depth and this richness to, to these chapters in John as it's his last lessons for his disciples before he's crucified. So now they're walking out towards the garden and he's like, I, I go and prepare a place for you that when I come back, you may be with me where I am. And I, I, I go to prepare a place for you and, and I will come back to bring you to be with me. And then Philip's like, can you show us the father? And he's like, have I been so long time with you? And do you not yet know me? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You've seen the Father's heart in my life, in my actions, and you've seen the Father's character in my teachings and in all of my dealings with humanity. And verily I say unto you, he that believes on me, greater works than, these, than I do shall he do also, because I go unto my Father. And if he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Here's the promise of the Holy Spirit. First shows up there in John 14. And then John 15, you know, I'm the vine. You need to abide. You need to have this connecting, connected, living, breathing relationship with, with me and with the Father. And greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is my commandment, the verse immediately preceding, that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, it's over and over and over through here. And then he's like, the world's going to persecute you. You're going to experience persecution. And these things I've spoken unto you that you should not be offended, John 16, 1. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time comes that whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But now I go my way to him that sent me, verse 5, and none of you ask me, where, where are you going? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, he's like, I'm about to leave. And the disciples inside are going, he's going to leave? We, we're, they're like feeling sad that Jesus is going to go. And so it, Jesus is almost saying, look, look, don't be sad. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Think about it. The privilege of walking and talking with Jesus as, it is, as his disciple for three and a half years, it is the greatest blessing that these disciples have ever had in their life. And Jesus says, I'm about to take your greatest blessing away from you. Have you ever had experiences or times in your life where you felt like the best thing in your life was taken away from you? Whenever God takes the best thing in our life, even the biggest blessing away. It's because just a few days later, or in this case, 50 days later, he's giving an even bigger blessing. And when he comes, 
He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And we could go deep on these things. There's of sin because they believe not in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's like, you're not ready to hear everything that I would love to share with you. I have so much more to teach you, but you're, it's just, it's just going to go over your heads. You're not ready for it. But <laughs> how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has given are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it to you. A little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. This, this passage... Just so power-packed, so incredible. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. This promise is good for all followers of Jesus for all time. This promise, I take such comfort in this promise because I know that as long as I want to know what the truth is, the Holy Spirit's going to show me. I don't have to be reliant on someone to teach me. I can just study the word of God and the spirit of truth he's going to teach me. This is incredible. And what happened in this story? After Jesus dies and he's resurrected and then he goes and ascends to heaven 40 days later, then what happens? Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and when he had, he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, verse 7, which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power when the Holy, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Again, here it is. He's like, I'm going away, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, the men, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? And then they returned to Jerusalem, and they talked together, and they appoint a replacement for Judas. And then chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of 
Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a rushing, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confused, they were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue where we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and all over, Verse 12, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what means this? Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judah and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words, for these men are not drunk. Verse 16, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders. Here he quotes from Joel. And he applies a prophecy that more directly applies to the last days, to the outpouring of the Spirit in his time. So, can you imagine if this picture, this scene of Pentecost is what it looked like when the Holy Spirit was poured out and given to the, given to the disciples then, now apostles? think that scene is supposed to look like at the primary fulfillment of this passage in Joel at the last days after the sun turns to darkness and the moon to blood and there's signs in the earth beneath and the heavens above those, those are events that we as Adventists point to as happening in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. Incredible events. After which the Holy Spirit would be poured out. So, where is it? Are you, am I, experiencing the presence of God more than the disciples were while walking and talking with Jesus? If not, why not? Any ideas? Not spending enough time in God's presence. Dad? Amen. We're Laodicean, but there's a remedy. 
because we don't ask. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. We must have. Is this, you know, we, we could have. We might have. We could maybe have the holy unction from the God, the baptism of his spirit. Is that what it says, Caden? No. We must have. It's imperative. The holy unction from God, the baptism of his spirit. This is the only efficient agent in the promulgation of sacred truth. It's the only thing that makes what we do in sharing the gospel to the community effective in any significant way. It's the spirit of God that quickens the lifeless faculties of the soul to appreciate heavenly things and attracts the affections toward God and the truth. So it's, it's, what, makes us, it's what makes us appreciate Jesus who he is, what he's done for us. What we need, what we cannot do without, is the power of the Holy Spirit to work with our efforts. All pampering of self must be at an end. There is a weakness of intellect, a lack of religious fervor in those who want to lean upon others to be petted, waited upon, and propped up. There must be an earnest longing. I, I love those, <laughs> those mental pictures, waited on, propped up. There must be an earnest longing, a soul hunger for the presence of the Lord. Make him your support, your front guard, and your rearward. Does, does that soul hunger bring to mind any passages of scripture for you? Blessed are they do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He who has endowed the human mind with all its powers will so mold these capabilities that there will be no extremes. I tend to act with extremes at times. I tend to be, you know, I have a tendency to being verbose or, you know, to not being in harmony with everyone. But the Holy Spirit changes all of that. And I think one of the big keys to why we don't see more of the Holy Spirit is because we don't ask, because we don't feel a need. I would propose that's why Laodicea enjoys being Laodicea. Why Laodicea doesn't necessarily always want to change. It's to have a deep soul hunger, to ask for the Holy Spirit. The, you know, Jesus says, you know, if you which are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? I don't ask enough. It's, it's, it's the promise of God. And Jesus is like, I'm going away so, so that you can have the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a much more blessed experience than walking with me in person. Yet so often we're, we, we just aren't even thinking, even close to that big, when we think about 
the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. We're not thinking about it being more meaningful than walking and talking with Jesus in person. I think there's a Bible story that kind of illustrates the difference between being able to receive the Holy Spirit and not. And, and that, can anyone guess which story this is? Kaden, Uriah? Uriah, can you guess which story this, Bible story this is? Or Kaden? There's two men, right? In the front, who's in the back? Okay, so Jesus and his disciples are watching these two people. Who are these two people? Okay, so the guy who's standing up, he's got the long prayer shawl, probably a Pharisee. Hmm? Yeah, and then who's, who's down there on the, on the ground? Yeah. So this guy is a tax collector. And so the Jew, how much did Jews like tax collectors? <laughs> how much do we like tax collectors? Anybody a fan of the IRS? <laughs> well, they have a necessary job, but uh, especially in Bible times, people despise the tax collectors because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't so much regulation on how they collected their taxes, and they collected more tax than they should have. So tax collectors in general were just despised people. They, 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 they were equivalent to robbers and thieves because they were legal thieves. They, they had the Roman soldiers backing them up to take the money right out of your pockets, even if they sh took more than they should. Um, so nobody liked tax collectors. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And Jesus spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. What's a publican? You're right. Tax collector. Publican and tax collector. They mean the same thing. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift up his head to heaven. So he's got his head bowed down but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be humbled, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, I really like their commentary on this passage. They're like, to have been kept from gross iniquities what is undoubtedly a just cause of thankfulness to God. And this is speaking of the Pharisees' prayer. 
It would have been, an, you know, it would have been, he should have been thankful that he was kept from doing really, really bad things by God. But instead of being humble and in the admiring frame, which being kept from iniquity should inspire, the Pharisee arrogantly severs himself off from the rest of mankind as quite above them. And with a contemptuous look at the poor publican, thanks God that he has not to stand afar off like him, to hang down his head like a bulrush and beat his breast like him. But these are only his moral excellencies. His religious merits complete his grounds for congratulations. Not confining himself to one divinely prescribed annual fast, he was not behind the most rigid who fasted on the second and fifth days of every week and gave the tenth not only of what the law laid under tithing, but of all his gains. Thus, besides doing his duty, he did works of supererogation while sins to confess and spiritual wants to be supplied, he seems to have felt none. What a picture of the Pharisaic character and religion. And sometimes, like, we may not be proud like the Pharisee in thinking that, oh, we're so much better than someone else, or um, that, you know, we're without sin or without need to, to confess our sins to God. But sometimes it can be really easy to, to just be right. And in being right, we're entirely wrong. If you know what I mean? Because when we, when we feel that our position, our opinion is right, and someone else's is wrong, even if we're technically right, like this Pharisee in tithing everything and in doing all his duty and that above, we can be entirely wrong because we're missing the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in our, in our hearts and in our minds to, to give us what we need outside of being right. There's more then there's more to life and to our friendships and relationships with others than being just right, right? There's kindness, there's empathy, there's compassion, there's, there's so much more to our relationships with our fellow man than just being right. And while this Pharisee was right, he was very wrong. And, and sometimes I think, you know, this can be, being right can be dangerous. <laughs> you know? Um, I, I grew up in very conservative Adventist circles. And I'm very thankful for being raised with principles. And, and you know, knowing my Bible and Bible stories. And I, I'm really thankful for that. But at the same time, within conservative circles, there can very much be a feeling of being right. You know? doctrinally and otherwise. And it's very important to be right. But that feeling of being right can't lead to a superiority. It can't lead to alienating ourselves from the publican, the person who's really, really wrong. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, honestly, it should have been the Pharisee's job to go talk to the publican and bring him to the temple, bring him to God, bring him to Jesus' feet. But instead, he cuts himself off.
from the publican and doesn't even associate with him, doesn't even give that relationship a chance, right? There, there's so many lessons here. And then the publican, he, his character, his approach to God was so different. Standing afar off as unworthy to draw near, but that same attitude the publican has is the attitude for drawing near to God. I mean, just look at Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. I told you this would be a Bible study. And it's about over. Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm 34, verse 18. What does it say? Amen. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and, such that, and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He would not lift up. He, he was blushing and ashamed to even present his face to God. He smote his breast for, out of anguish and self-reproach. And then he cries out to God, be merciful. And the, and the word there in the Greek means be propitiated. It's a very unusual word in such a sense, used only once else in the New Testament in the sense of making reconciliation by sacrifice. Um, so there may be some allusion to this here. No. It's just an interesting Greek word that's used. And a sinner, literally the sinner, that is, if there ever was a sinner, it's me. Rather than the other, the meaning is and not the other, for the Pharisee was not seeking justification and felt no need of it. This great law of the kingdom of God is, in the teaching of Christ, inscribed as in letters of gold over its entrance gate and in how many different forms it is repeated. And again, there's a whole bunch of Bible passages that they refer to where this principle comes up over and over and over again. So, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Against such, there is no law. This is, this is what it's like. Because when we live in the presence of God, when we pray and plead for the Holy Spirit, as it's our privilege and our right to do. By the way, um, this, this, um, this article uh, in the Home Missionary, I would highly recommend everyone here read. Go ahead and write it down. The Home Missionary, November 1, 1890. Um, this article is really long, and it's called "The Power of the um, the Church's the Source of the Church's Power," I believe, and it's all about what it takes for a church to be a living, thriving place, and it, it's a really, really, really good and pretty long article. It's 
I highly recommend reading it all. Um, to be self-emptied uh, or poor in spirit is the fundamental and indispensable preparation for the reception of the grace which brings salvation. Wherever this exists, the mourning for it which precedes comfort and the earnest hungerings and thirstings after righteousness which are rewarded by the fullness of it will, as we see here, be surely found. Such, therefore, and such only are the justified ones. You know how Jesus said, um, blessed are they which mourn, for they shall be comforted? What did he call the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16? The comforter. There, there's a pretty direct connection here. And Jameson, Foster, and Brown picked that up. They were like, you know, the mourning, the, the mourning for sin, the, the, the mourning of the Beatitudes precedes the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The passing of time made no change in Christ's promise to send the Holy Spirit. If we do not see the fulfillment, it is because we do not appreciate the promise as we should. Wherever Christians think little of the Holy Spirit, there we will find spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, and spiritual death. When minor matters occupy the attention, and divine power necessary for the... When minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power necessary for the church's growth and prosperity is missing. So the devil loves to bring in minor matters to divide us and to capture our attention when he's just trying to sap us from availing ourselves of the Holy Spirit and its power. Why don't we hunger and thirst for the Spirit? The Lord is more willing to give the Spirit than parents are to give good gifts to their children. Every worker should be asking God for the daily baptism of the Spirit. The presence of the Spirit with God's workers will give a power to our sharing of the truth that not all the glory of the world could give. So, this morning, I know I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit in my life, and I need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, like the presence of God that's more powerful than just, than even the physical presence of Jesus. I, I want that kind of experience, don't you? Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want your Holy Spirit today, and we ask that you would please grant us your spirit. Help us to live as in the presence of heaven. And Father, give us the humility of heart and mind and life that accepts that presence. For we pray these things according to your promises. And in Jesus' name, amen.